This is Shaka Ward Speak. Hey, welcome to Shaka Ward Speak. We're back again with another episode. As always, I'm here with my co-host Ryan Letario. And we are kicking off episode two of uh, the series this year that we're calling Rethink. Um, and what are we going to talk about this week, Brian? We're go- we're going to talk about the whole the notion of like uh, the starving artist. Oh, I- I've never heard of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, uh, you know, I mentioned it before in the last episode, but just as a recap, there's that idea of the the artist, you know, that you're starving. And I had once heard, you know, just as a, just a kind of a refresher from the last episode, I once heard a comedian talk about Prince when Prince was. Um, he was a, he was Prince, but he was trying to get out his record deal, and he said, "You know what? He was going by uh, the artist formerly known as Prince, so that he could make music without having to pay." And uh, and he wrote "Slave" on his face, mm-hmm. and it was a you know was, I didn't I didn't know enough to really appreciate how unique that was and what he was doing. Right? You know, I really didn't have any category. So pop culture people are making fun of him. Mm-hmm. I get it now. Like you know, as the person I am now, I'm like that was a serious deal. And he was, he was, his creativity was being uh, bound up in the um, contracts of someone else that wasn't giving him the license to make the kind of music he was growing into, mm-hmm. you know, very interesting conversation for another day. But the, uh, there was a comedian that had made a joke about, you know, uh, my goal is to be the artist formerly known as starving. Yeah. And it always stuck out. And I was like, that's me. I want to, I want to not starve. But the thing was, I guess, so to, to lead into the discussion is there's a lot of, uh, cultural cachet around starving as a signifier of the serious dedication you have to your art. Right, right. And, yeah, um, I mean, I, I don't know. Um, I think what would be helpful for me is if we kind of like rolled back a little bit. Sure. And so, you know, like this, these ideas come from somewhere, mm. right? I mean, like, it's not just that they popped off in like 95 and now we talk about them. Um, Correct. I mean, where where do you kind of trace this, this back to? Because uh, I have some thoughts um, – Share your thoughts. So, so my thing is, um, as I've gone through, you have this idea. Um, I mean, so you've got like the, the bohemian lifestyle, mm-hmm. right? All this sort of stuff, uh, 1800s, um, sort of like, you know, um, you know, Toulouse Lautrec, Parisian, right. uh, you know, uh, you know, absinthe and, 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 and free lives. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those sort of like throw off the shackles of modern society. Yeah. Um, but I think even before that, like you mm-hmm. have this, uh, this pattern within, um, you know, Renaissance and such sure. of kind of the, the, the entitled kid that is doing art because his, you know, his, his father might be like a wealthy landowner or something. Yeah. Um, and he has the ability to do that. And because he has the ability to do it because of his circumstances, it doesn't require him to actually be good. Right. Like, you know, he doesn't have to, he doesn't have to sell things. He yeah. doesn't have to yeah, have yeah. a patron. Right. Uh, cause he's, he's kind of being, um, financed yeah through that um and so you hear these you know you hear these stories throughout art history classes of, of such and such in their situation mm-hmm. and so i can't help but think that maybe it's even part of that where it's well, like yeah, oh, it I'm certainly suffering goes, for an art yeah it certainly goes back to i mean so it's like taking an indicative and making it an imperative mm-hmm. so it's taking you know what we tend to do over time our cultural memory phase and then we take what's indicative or typical of an era that has been canonized and then we make it a um not indicative of, but an imperative or, yeah. or that this has to be there in order to be such and such. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you look at page, when you talk about patronage or you talk about wealthy, you know, guild support, or you talk about like 
monks in a monastery making mm-hmm. things, or you talk about like Michelangelo commissioned by the church or wealth, wealthy patrons. And, and, I, and I might be misspeaking here, but I have a vague recollection of Michelangelo maybe needing to eat paint or do some, some things that were a little desperate mm-hmm. um, because the infrastructure and support wasn't there. Right. Um, Rembrandt actually had a job. Mm-hmm. He wasn't really making a living off of his art. Uh, for there was a suspended amounts of time where, uh, you know, he was working, mm-hmm. you know, um, and some of this is the the dominant sort of authorities on what culture is, mm-hmm. creating these uh, dynamic spaces between wealthy wealth and affluence and being able to make, or having great capacity and needing to garner, um, you know, support. So it's a time long struggle. Of of uh, how how are the values how are the how is the value of art supported? Yeah, yeah. So if you're in the Renaissance or you're, you know, in the, uh, the Baroque era, or you know, I always say in a very sweeping way that when you move when art moves west to America, it's dislodged from um, the support of the church and the support of uh, the king, mm-hmm. you know, or the queen or whatever, and so it it's also breaks from certain constant narrative structures. Right, that are supplying content and enabling painters to master and advance and develop a fullness to painting in, in just a kind of historical trajectory kind of way. But when you get to like the 1800s and you get to like the Van Goghs, mm-hmm. you start to get these uh, uh, these rupture figures that are moving away from that history and moving into the modern era. So, you know, like Toulouse-Lautrec, you have your... your um, the kind of bohemian free spirited, uh, yeah, you know, removal from uh, matriarchy or patriarchy or um, bourgeoisie society, mm-hmm. you know, affluence, that kind of thing. And so there's trade offs, there's compromises, there's like, you know, I'm going to drink booze, mm-hmm. you know, have, have party, have sex, whatever, and make art, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm willing to suffer or starve to make what I want to make rather than have someone else, you know, tell me what to make. Yeah. And it, 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 in, in a space like that, it really changes the reason why it's happening. Correct. You know, one is like almost a conscious decision. Yes. It's like, I don't have to be successful because that's actually what I'm going against. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and, and then, you know, if you have the starving artist there, it's, it's a different mm-hmm. in some ways, possibly more palatable. Yeah. So they're happenstance too, you know, right. like, I mean, they're, 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 they're situations occurring in history that are being normalized as in as a uh, a part and parcel to what it means to be an artist. Yeah. So the point is not that it happened or that it doesn't happen. It's that is that is that a necessary union or association to to being an artist? Yeah. I mean, you could liken it to somebody looking at you know two hundred years from now, looking at uh, LeBron James and saying, well, you know, he didn't play college ball. So right. the only way to play basketball it's is to not, not go to college basketball. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. just can't, you just don't do it. Start to normalize it, and it's and it really is taking that uh, you know the the microscopic and changing it to the mm-hmm. macroscopic. Yep. Um, so instead of I don't know, instead of uh, defining an individual, you're supplying now a list of uh, structures and rules mm-hmm. that require it to happen. Um, yeah, and, and and I know you know you mentioned you mentioned Van Gogh. That's one that I think a lot of people kind of go to. He's a he's a an early entry point, I think, mm-hmm. for a lot of artists. Um, and, uh, you know, you got Jackson Pollock. You know, yeah. talk about, you know, how the, you know, the struggle. And I think sometimes what's interesting is, you know, you hear, um, 
you know, like you have the good, you have the big show at the blue chip gallery as like the end of the story, mm-hmm. you know, for an artist, which is detrimental. So, you know, you watch a, a documentary about Pollock and they're going to maybe gloss over the rest of his career mm-hmm. while they talk about how tough it was to get to where he sure. wanted to go. Yeah. And you know, and, and all that stuff's true. It yeah. was tough, but when the focus is so heavily put on that as well, mm-hmm. then you get an, an idea that like, oh, th- should this be 75% of my life just like it right. was for that documentary I watched? Well, also, yeah, and then they'll neglect things like how prolific and good of an artist his wife was, Lee Krasner, and how yeah. successful she was after his life. Mm-hmm. And there's these alternative pictures, but they don't always they don't always make these historical links in a clean way. And so we kind of uh, canonize uh, archetypes or caricatures mm-hmm. And so then the caricature is the thing that's uh, brought into the educational models, especially early on. So you get your bohemian artist archetype uh-huh. and it's sort of taught in a very basic way to kids. And then the mythos of that is then carried forward into uh, college. Uh-huh. And it's the most accessible, you know, uh, stories reach the populace. Uh-huh. So then the populace is tuned to that ideology and then therefore is most inclined to reinforce it. So the common expectation becomes uh, to be an artist is to, is to starve. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to, you know, I'm willing to pay 20 bucks for that painting mm. that you just spent 80 hours on. <laughs> and, you know, the materials alone cost more than that. Right. Right. And uh, so there's a kind of ubiquity to the experience for the common person. Um, mm-hmm. You know, most people know the phrase starving artist. Um, and it, it, it's a fog that sits on so many people and, you know, so more seasoned artists that are listening, you know, some of our friends that are listening that have been really doing the work, they may or may not have struggled with this at different points in their life, but they more than most likely have lived long enough to realize it's not essential to proving the worth of your work. Mm-hmm. However, you do navigate outside of your most immediate context. A lot of people that have those laden assumptions mm-hmm. and what's, 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 Difficult is we that live past and through those mm-hmm. are not as visible to people that are coming in to becoming, you know, artists, uh, studio yeah. artists and so on. And so they're holding on to those laden atmospheric assumptions and believing them as true. And here's the thing. A lot of times for other factors like mm-hmm. being a college student and because the culture isn't always readily supportive of the arts, it becomes self-fulfilling. But what happens is then it becomes confirmation of success, mm-hmm. right? So now because I am struggling to eat, uh, this is a signifier that I'm actually doing quite well as an artist. Yeah. And I know this from being an instructor at VCU that I've listened to my students in the elevator by week two. They're like, I'm doing all-nighters and I haven't eaten in a couple of days. And they're saying that with a little bit of like, I'm doing the, th- I'm living the life, I'm inhabiting yeah. the life of a maker, and there's so there's something I, you know, I want to affirm about that. There is a this sincere desire to be an artist, mm-hmm. and a willingness to do what it takes to do that. So right. in the most positive way, uh, I can say it, I can affirm the sentiment of wanting to be an artist and actually being excited when you find yourself inhabiting the space and, and it fits. Mm-hmm. Like when you put on the clothes you want to wear and they they fit. So there's some of that going on. But then, you know, what, what's not there is what I've said in the past, you know, in, on this episode maybe, in, um, but I had a professor mentor named Mark Emerson. Um, so shout out to Mark if he's listening in Sacramento. He's a really awesome, hugely influential person in my life. You know, one day, like I said before, he just pulled me aside and said, you know, you don't have to do this. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have to, to be, in, you know, starving. Mm-hmm. And Mark 
modest means, but he had run a clothing business for a while and became went back to abstract painting. It's just, you know, prolific. Mm -hmm. And his life was like, he'd take me on jobs to install art with him when he needed extra help. And so I start seeing a guy, he's like not starving. He's not rich, but he's not starving. You see yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, he's yeah. not living in rags. And, and you know, and remember him being like, it's just not sustainable. And if you really care about your art, you're going to have to have a job. And, and you want to eat so you have energy. It's like he had to put like very literalistic, obvious dots together for me because my first step was I need to prove that I am actually an artist and I have to walk through whatever well-worn path precedes me so that I understand it other people understand it and that it's known deeply that I'm willing to sacrifice for my art. Right. And so, I mean, you know, this episode will bleed into other rethink episodes because you'll find a lot of overlapping assumptions and, you know, coming back to our discussion, it's like, um, the point of doing, doing these talks is just to kind of say like, do we, or, or do we not need to hold these assumptions? And mm. part of the idea here is that, is just to say that maybe we do, and maybe you're there, and maybe it's true, and I would never judge you if it is, but it may not need to be. And so if anything, this series is a larger version of what Mark did for me. Mm -hmm. Is he at least put it on my radar? I couldn't assume what he was saying right away, but I've thought about it ever since. Right. And I'm not <laughs> I'm far from starving now. If anything, I probably need to stop eating as much. But, um, but it did free my mind over time because I was like, okay, because I, I can't keep doing these all-nighters, and I and yeah. I, I I am hungry, you know. Um, this idea of of, a, of impoverished, the idea that abundance comes from poverty, mm -hmm. is strangely paradoxical. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And and there's there's also no space for nuance in there. So you know, it's you've got. Um, I've got students who, you know, they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing the thing. And it's like, okay, cool. Well, you know, you can, you can be successful and not be going month to month mm -hmm. on just, you know, the bare minimum. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, I'm not, I'm not looking to sell out. And I'm mm -hmm. like, well, that, that's a, that's not the conversation either. That's a far cry. Mm -hmm. um, nobody here is asking you to sell out either. And nobody's here. Nobody here is trying to get you to, um, you know, say my art is only successful if I'm a millionaire while right. I'm doing it. If I've, if we've got, you know, $200,000 paintings in a gallery, like I'm not saying that. So I always tell students like there is, there is starving. There is like meteoric success. Sure. Um, but those are the two tales we get told. Yeah. We, we rarely, like you were saying a minute ago, we don't get, we can, don't get told those stories of like the person who's like, you know, they, they bought a house, they're doing their art. Yep. And they got a studio. They got a studio, and they're and, doing it. And yeah. They got a few shows a year, yep. and they you know getting some books and some magazines, some catalogs. Yeah, and uh, you know they they don't they're not going to be maybe not in the canon in two hundred years. Yep, but they're successfully adding to it. Yeah, they're in there. You know, I mean, because I, I really I really had that. That's one of the things I harp on so much that I think is kind of undergirded sort of the spirit of Shaco art space from the beginning is the fact that I had professors that like let me into their that were working artists that let me into their, the thick of their lives just enough to see the truth. Yeah. And the truth was better than the fiction yeah. because the truth was like, you know, one of my, I worked as a studio assistant for Joan moment and she, they saved money and built a studio in their backyard. And I remember being like, Oh my gosh, this is the most amazing thing ever. Yeah. I, I, and I have that now, you know, like, but I had a vision for it that echoed back to Linda day, having a, a live workspace in Pasadena where the bottom floor was all like gallery studios, incredible. And you, mm -hmm. you climb a loft space and it opens up into like storage and then a bedroom and then a kitchen. 
and and her and her partner David, uh, he was a writer, lived there. And uh, Laura and I go in there early on in our marriage before I moved to Sacramento, and just seeing her move from her studio in Sacramento to Pasadena, and you know, one of my professors, Tom Monteith, he had this like incredible studio space embedded in like a a warehouse. So I was getting these invitation visions of a life that was always signaling that there were meals to have and, and joy and conversation and friendship um, permeating these places. And none of them were starving. None of them were utterly famous. Although Joan had shown in, um, Oh gosh. Uh, what's the museum? Not MoMA in New York, not new museum. Um, wow. I'm drawing a blank. The Whitney. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. The Whitney. Um, so, you know, you're talking about real successes yeah, yeah. and real images of real life and like goal setting that is working towards uh, plausible mm-hmm. spaces to work and ma- maintenance of your practice, but also maintenance of your friendships and your health and your well being. And, um, you know, it, th- a lot of that's just not communicated uh, in your studio classes. A lot of times you're put through the ringer of prove you really want to make art. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times the way people feel they have to prove it is by excluding other things. Yeah. Total devotion, you know, total devotee uh, to the detriment of yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, I've always said it. There's a professor, I won't say her name, but, you know, she told me the day I found out I, have liver, I had liver disease, she didn't know this. I was sick. And I'll never forget it as long as I live. Uh, she looked at one of my paintings in grad school in Sacramento and said, I don't feel like you're willing to die for these paintings. <laughs> and Jeez. she was being hyperbolic capitulator of this notion, mm-hmm. not knowing that I had just found out that I have liver problems mm-hmm. and I was actually sick. Yeah. Right. Like the reality and the myth were colliding and this person had no capacity to even handle the, like her using me self-sacrificing as a way to talk about the quality of a painting I made mm-hmm. was so, was so appalling at that moment because reality was setting in. It's like, these are, you're really at the limits of your ability to speak about this. Not saying it's a good painting, saying that uh, it's easier for you to just tell me to die for it. Mm-hmm. But what you don't realize is I have been because part of my issues yeah. is being exposed is because I was not eating well and I was not living well enough. I wasn't taking care of myself. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, like yeah, yeah, these yeah. things are close to home for me as a young artist because I was living through this, you know, not having a place to live. I mean, and so to, to go through all of that and still be told it, Mm-hmm. Um, and then have that same work be the work that got me into like several of the top 10 schools in the country for mm-hmm. my MFA was the most extreme paradox and the most like, okay, this is a sham. Like mm-hmm. the way that this has been communicated to me is not true. Yeah. And I'm not going to succumb to this anymore. You know, I, I refuse to, and I had to work things out of course, but you know, it's close home, close to home to me. And I do see a lot of students come in and assume this, these categories very quickly. Yeah, I mean, um, I, even further than that, I'd say that there's uh, there's times I'll be uh, doing stuff with my my daughter who's six, and there are shades of it that come through and things she says like, mm-hmm. "Oh, is this right? Yeah, you know, is this the, is this uh, is this okay? Like, could I one day?" And it's and it, you know, you you might hear that and just be like, uh, "Whatever, that's just kids, you know, asking questions." Yeah, but when when you when you swim in the water of a conversation like this enough. Um, everything gets wet. Right. And so it's hard to not hear that as, you know, an an opening dialogue into these questions of, you know, how long does it take for me to suffer and and starve before I can actually 
be okay to enter into the room as an artist for real. Right. Um, and so it's uh, one one thing I talk about with some of the freshman students um, I teach is that um, the idea of professionalism within arts, mm-hmm. it doesn't have anything to do with licensing. It doesn't have anything to do with some uh, to be of being degreed, right? Mm-hmm. Like those things don't exist within our fields. Sure, uh, at least in the United States. Uh, in other places, there are with design, like licensing and things that go into yep. it. But for for us, like to practice in most creative spaces. Um, professionalism, there's no rubber stamp somebody's going to put on you. Mm-hmm. So it is a, it is a place where you, you kind of start doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't, um, you kind of earn it through your own work. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily earn it from somebody else's opinion of you, which makes a conversation like starving artists even more difficult yeah. because you're like, I like they're, they're never giving you the credence to do this in the first place. Yeah. 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 Um, so why do you need that, that cultural tick box checked sure. uh, as like, Oh, I spent, I, you know, it's like I spent my time, doing the, you know, the, the starving internship. So, um, now I can go to the big leagues of art Mm -hmm. because I've done that. Yeah. And I mean, and the thing, you know, so the thing is you may find yourself not eating very much and not being able to Mm -hmm. and having to make hard choices. And so, but the point is, is not to feel like you're beholden to that. It may be the case, but you're not beholden to it as a, as a rite of passage. It's not a rite of passage. Right. And it doesn't have to be the destination. It's not the destination. It's not the end. It it, it could be the case. Mm -hmm. And so I want to be careful here, but what I don't want you to do is, is make the mistake that I made in believing that it also, because it was the case for me and it was necessary in a lot of ways, but I also then felt like I had to, to prove myself Mm -hmm. and it didn't, it wasn't adding or taking away from the truth of the way people outside my most immediate context were seeing my work, which was right. the big one mm-hmm. is I had my teachers who were right in front of me, but then it's like, once the work got past that most intense audience, uh, the larger context and schools and other places were having a totally different look at my work without yeah. any personal information about the, the comings and goings of my, mm-hmm. my days and where I slept and what I ate and when I showered and like none of that actually was really, um, intrinsic to the work. Right. Right. So then, and so I think that's the thing. And we had a, we have a, a an awesome listener who's been listening to us for a while. And we had a great conversation yesterday. I got, had the pleasure of meeting them on the, mm-hmm. uh, and talking by phone. And so, um, and super encouraged by their story and excited to sh- share more conversation with them and see how they can, you know, um, uh, you know, be a part of what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. And they said something that really stuck out to me that I really appreciated. They said, you know, maybe, um, without realizing we're doing a starving artist podcast episode yeah. next, they said, well, you know, maybe the whole thing with the starving artist is that, that really we're starved for community. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I think, you know, more than I can say in that moment, um, I really think there's warrant to that. There's truth yeah. to that. You know, I really b- believe that that's a big part of this equation as well. That's kind of, uh, in like f- embedded into the equation. Um, yeah, I can almost see it as, as like that that sort of mantra, the starving artist is at least that one. It, it, it's like the community fire. Everybody yeah. can gather around yep. and be like, yeah, I've been there, done that. Yeah. Or, yeah, I'm in that right now. Like best yeah. case scenario, like it at least kind of provides some sort of community touch point right. in commonality. Um, yeah. But I think and also, but also, I mean, like have. even, even, I mean, just to depart, you know, because I think you're right about that. Um, but even, even a point of departure, I think, was just to say that. So this is where I'm getting to is, there might have been a time where someone like a Van Gogh or a, um, uh, well, just just stay with a pop pop level example like a Van Gogh, like the the idea that the person was so devoted to something 
kind of romantically outside of themselves, a kind of transcendental quality that they're sold out for the work. Mm-hmm. They're sold out for the work. And so they're willing to starve for the sake of apprehending the work that's before them in the mm-hmm. world that's even further, further in front of their eyes. That kind of artist doesn't seem to exist to the same extent in our current cultural climate. Right. So I think the current kind of artist possibly, you know, on average, if you will, if you could say it that way, is starved literally for human contact. Uh-huh. What I mean by that is we're not talking about the malnourishment of the, the, uh, uh, that comes from not eating, uh-huh. but we're talking about the malnourishment that comes from years of believing that studio artists exist only by themselves. Yeah. And so they're starved to, to do what we've talked about in this podcast, to both know and be known uh-huh. in a way that's actually uh, real and honest. And, um, you know, and I think that gets into a larger discussion that I think we could probably have at a different time. But I just want to acknowledge that this was brought up and I thought it was um, important to note and I think important to fold into this equation, this conversation that we're going to have over, you know, a handful of episodes, which is to get to get at, you know, the community discussion is maybe something that we can branch off into uh-huh. in one of our other episodes. The starved, starved to be known, the starved, the way in which we are starved to both know and be known. Yeah. That actually the reason why we've been saying this for so long is because it's recognized that it's a missing part. And some people are aware and some are not. You know, some people are so devoted to the work they don't eat. Mm-hmm. That's different. Yeah. You know, you get in the zone. Um, we've had friends on, uh, you know, I think I can imagine, Miguel, forgive me if you're listening and you dispute this, but I mean it as a compliment. I can imagine Miguel getting so t- intense into a painting that he forgets to eat. Yeah, yeah, and then he's hungry. Totally. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I get, I get like that sometimes. It's been mm-hmm. a while, but I can get like that. And so there are, you know, there's people that are so devoted that they're they lose track of those things. Mm-hmm. And again, that might be indicative of a creative spirit, but it's not prescriptive. It's not. It's not required. Yeah, and it definitely can't take the place of the other things. Exactly. And so I think that's the thing I don't want to have confused in this is we're not discounting the realities of that. Yeah. But what I am saying is these are not your target points. Right. They may happen uh, at the expense of other things, but they should not be the goal. And we we ought not capitulate um, this notion at a popular level mm-hmm. to a watching world. We would rather them have better categories for assuming what it means to be creative and be an artist, be a studio artist, be a designer, whatever that is, right? Yeah. Um, and all you can do is start in your sphere of influence with the amount of folks that are willing to hear from you uh, as they do. Right. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I think of when, um, this wasn't even too long ago, um, my daughter was probably one or two, probably about two so, about four and a half years ago, um, I remember being in a space with uh, the design work I was doing where it was, it was like, it wasn't even eking out a living. Mm-hmm. It was, it was having enough so that I wouldn't have to be totally relying on a credit card to get through each month. Right. But it was still pretty heavy. And the thing about that was, is there is no moment that I ever remember at that time sitting there thinking, this is it. Mm-hmm. This is exactly, yeah, right. this is exactly <laughs> yeah. what I want. Yeah. Especially when you need to go buy more materials or whatever. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. or you're like, I'm kind of tired of having the same dinner three yeah, times a week. Tired top ramen. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, and it's like, and, and in that moment I wasn't starving, but it was definitely like that. It was a heavy struggle. Yep. Um, 
but I kept doing the work. And, and the only reason that I was in that space and kept doing the work is because I knew there was something else on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. There was something that was more uh, supportive and, you know, just the nature of, uh, of a career in art and design is that there, there is that period where you're not as well known as you wish you were. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, your your name is not on the lips of, of the people that would make it a lot easier for sure. you. Sure. Yeah. Um, and so there is that kind of growth curve. You know, there is like a, so to speak, uh, a JV period without there being any sort of JV <laughs> expectation in the career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's just the, well, the that, grow into it phase. Yeah, and, and I think that's the thing is reframing, reframing, you know, rethinking the discussion on mm-hmm. these things. It's like, so if we reset expectations and, you know, you talk about the polarization between like, the super high end, you know, reality that is yeah. maybe some are fortunate for various reasons. Like, you know, you could be starting at the bottom and actually get a call from a gallery and they're like, we want, mm-hmm. I just heard of someone that their paintings are now selling. I talked on the phone with a friend and he's in a wonderful way, you know, uh, been making work for a lot of years. And now these paintings are selling for 50, $90,000. Yeah. That, this, nice. that came to this artist. This artist wasn't like, this artist was working hard, but mm-hmm. that came to them at uh, by by virtue of a, dis- a decision by the gallerist. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that happens, and when it does, listen, if someone wants to buy my paintings for ninety grand, I'm not going to say no. Yeah, I don't know um, who would, right? Yeah, no one's going to say no to that. Um, and then on the but, and then like you said, you have the other extreme, which is like I'm totally bohemian lifestyle, mm-hmm. not judging it, just saying it's not prescriptive. Neither one of those is necessarily the uh, prescriptive way forward or the signifier per se. So what you're left with is the middle. And I don't want to compare it to like economics and middle class, you know, uh, but there is something in there as far as like what is not fleshed out numerically um, or uh, proportionally is how many makers are in this very vast middle, seemingly middle ground Mm -hmm. Um, which is really a steady state of of um, doing that has immense value for those that are a part of that sphere, right? So you can you can you're not starving, but you're not rich, right. but you got a garage studio and you have a family, or you've got a, a partner you live with, or you know you're living alone and you know you've got a family of of cats and dogs, or <laughs> like you've got you've got some situation that doesn't fit a firm prescription but also is not being talked about. So no one knows that they can identify with you and yeah. target for that, that level of, of doing it and calling it success. And I think that's part of the goal of Shaco art space has been to try to push that out. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a lot of art friends that are disenfranchised because they have kids now Yeah, that, that when they didn't have them, they were, they were sought after. Now that they do, they're not, mm-hmm. you know, or, or they got married and now they're not as interesting as they were when they were single or, you know, or now they're divorced and now they're not interesting or they've hit a certain age and all of a sudden somehow they stop being relevant because mm-hmm. they're over 60 or it's like there's all these ways that the culture uh, um, tries to compartmentalize and push folks into boxes. And I think um, we have to speak for ourselves in more rounded and nuanced ways and give more voice to the range, you know, and give future generations better targets for what, uh, can be the case in a reasonable way. Yeah, you know? I think some of the most recent numbers we have, there's approximately 4 million people in the United States that are practicing as full-time artists or designers, mm-hmm. like in some creative space. I wish we could get them all listening. I know, right? Um, and it's, But it's one of those things where it's like, okay, so think of that. That's you know roughly 1, 1.5% of the population of the country. 4 million people, all right? Um, but how many of those people can you name right now? 
Right. Like you might have your, your friends that you know. You might have the artists that you follow. You might even be able to say, well, let me scroll through Instagram and Twitter mm-hmm. and let me show you the people I follow. But I don't, I don't care. Like you don't have an exhaustive list of those people. Mm-hmm. And part of that, I think, is largely because of what you just said, Ryan, which is that there's something about a person who's just doing the job, living their life and going on that it's hard for us to make super sexy. Yeah, and it, or it, yeah, and it's because we've narrowed what super sexy is to something un, un, unattainable, right? And super you know? sexy is either oh, this person is starving and now yeah. they're meteoric, or yeah. this person is, and meteoric we'll celebrate and we them when they die. Lot. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah we, we love that. We love to idealize the tragic hero after they're dead because we, yeah. we can't deal with loving them as a real person. But you do have that yeah. space in the middle that's yeah. full of millions of people in yeah. our country alone. Yeah. That are doing this. One thing I love is as an aside, like there's, you know, so like there's some people in like hip hop culture and like athletic culture, like basketball, like, like there's a, a podcast called all the smoke and it's two former NBA basketball players. Mm-hmm. And, um, every now and then I'll listen. And one thing I love is they'll, they'll bring people on and because we've, we've, we've lost enough lives and they've li- these guys specifically and a few others, they've lived enough through losing the lives of people that were awesome. Mm-hmm. They started doing this thing where they're like, "We're giving you your flowers while you're alive." Yeah, yeah. like we're not going to wait till you die. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, "Man, we like they're like we had you on today because we want to give you your flowers today. Like we don't need to wait any longer for that." Yeah. And I think I love that in a way. I love the spirit of of saying like, "Why are we waiting to memorialize someone in their funeral and, and celebrate their like?" There's almost something about waiting for uh, folks to pass on to then talk about them the way we want to mm-hmm. that um, makes us not responsible to them. Yeah. And so I just, I like the heart of, of, um, not gassing somebody up, but what I'm saying is there is, there is a, a spirit of, of, um, what are we waiting for? Right. <laughs> you know, like, why are we waiting to, uh, esteem and value each other, love each other and feed each other, right? Mm-hmm. Like actually, uh, mutually support each other. Yep. Um, in, 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 you know, we have heroes in art, but you know, like take Mike Kelly, you know, I've done some different work in the past on this. Mike Kelly wrote a, his his suicide letter was hor- horrifically sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, he felt that he had aligned himself with a priesthood of artists in a in a monastic kind of uh, uh, lifestyle that 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 ended up betraying him, and and so he was lonely in every every sense of the word at the expense of being paradigmatically significant to the arts, and yeah, eminently so. And uh, you. It pains you to know that. It pains you to know that there are people that are capable, brilliant, and will drive this trope and this this kind of characterization to its logical end. Mm-hmm. But what it produces at the end is what you see with like the Jackson Pollock, the demise of Jackson Pollock, or whoever else you want to. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, R- Mark Rothko. Yeah, you know, yeah. he he never even got to live to see the chapel completed. Mm-hmm. Um, and not to like harp on the knowns, but they're just pop level examples that are easily accessible to the masses as a, a, you know, or at least uh, maybe not Mike Kelly, but, um, and we see that end enough. And yet that's the one we keep putting forward as the desirable, you know, we see like the Kurt Cobain or, um, the Jim Morrison or the Jimi Hendrix and you, you know, and, um, you know, so many others, even more like older rock stars that have lived past the, the 28, you know, what's mm-hmm. his name from um, uh, um, Lincoln Park or yeah, yeah. Um, Soundguard and Chris Cornell. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about mental health and we talk about these things, um, but we don't envision um, substantive 
alternatives. We don't, we don't let people in. So I, I'm coming back to like what I mean when I say it was important for Linda and Mark and Tom and Joan uh, to let me into their lives and sit at the table and eat dinner with them and learn to be an adult and yeah. learn to re- like learn to see that artists didn't only simply just talk about art. Like mm-hmm. I actually needed to be invited into that space. Yeah. And I think that, that it's hugely important uh, what you're saying, because when I think about the idea of a starving artist, what always comes back is that if you're starving for long enough, you're stopping whatever's making you starve. Mm-hmm. Like you just don't, there's no longevity to it. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're talking about like the tragic ways that people have stopped mm-hmm. like that starving, whether it was, you know, existential or actual. Um, and so there's, there's that, but you know, I think about other fields like architects who are like, Hey, I designed this building. It was in my eighties mm-hmm. and it was the best thing I ever did. Right. And they did it because they had 60 years before that of, of sticking with it, of yep. still being able to do it. Um, you know, and I think there's, there's a lot to be said about that is that it's, it's good to remember that, um, starving is not a condition of the human body that we can take for very long. Yes. So if you are starving, you will stop whatever is making you starve. Exactly. So if your art makes you starve at some point, you're going to go find a meal and wherever that meal is, you're going to start doing something else. Yep. And that's completely okay, mm-hmm. but it does not have to be the case if we look at this and say it's not prescriptive. That's right. Um, so it doesn't have to be that way. It's you scalable. Know? Because I, I want as many art. I want the eighty-year-old painter, yes, who's making the best work of his or her life, hundred uh, percent, because they've been able to stick with it. Yep. And so the point of kind of harping on something like the starving artist, I think, is to say um, you don't have to starve. You don't have to be meteoric. You can stick with it. Mm-hmm. It can be a part of your life. Mm-hmm. You can actually understand that as as a thing, and that's okay. Because I really do want. I want 80, 90, 100-year-old yes, artists. Please. 100%. Like, I, I love seeing the stuff that people like Saul Bass and Milton Glaser did as designers yeah. as they got older. Yeah, the things yeah, they yeah. started to do. Whether it's it an like important part of the, books the life kids, arc. Yeah, it's like important just mature part. things. It was just yeah. great. It also gives a better uh, set of expectations for the young artists coming in who's uh, uh, eager to prove themselves. Right. And, uh, you know, like I've been, I've been, my mantra this year is you have nothing to prove, nothing to protect. Mm-hmm. So I'll get into later. But the... Um, when students realize that they don't have to do that, it, it, it forces them into the middle category, which is, do I want to do it? Right. Because if I'm not protecting or proving myself, what am I left with? Yeah. Well, don't you want to make stuff? Don't you want to tell stories? Yes. And and can't you do that in proportion to a schedule and a life and a diet and and um, and not fear losing what you don't even possess yet? Yeah. And can't that happen in conjunction with a part-time job if you yes. need to or another yes. another job that's And can we it? celebrate that? Yes. So I, I take it to task to celebrate that when you, like, like meaning like I'm, I'm willing to give you your, your flowers today and really get into like how much it matters that you've got a job and you're making and that you're, you're not doing either one to the extent that you could if it was just that one, but you're finding a balance or a relation, a dynamic relationship that's enabling both to occur. Mm-hmm. And they're necessary towards each other. And and so I, I want to put a spotlight on that all the time because I want to see more healthy people in the world, let alone um, uh, enduring makers that, that, that actually can succeed. And here's the thing is the more that we put a finger on this, the more we all out each other as such, yeah. such that we start to realize there's more of us mm-hmm. and we just don't have to feel bad about it. Yeah. It's, it's just, like the, we can it. all eat a big banquet together and be like... <laughs> and, and also... We can be more generous with the, you know, folks that we have in our lives that we will have in our lives that are star- starving. Mm-hmm. Meaning, we can welcome them into our homes. We can, we can feed them a meal. We can talk about trajectory and 
ways forward and we can share our stories so they can see uh, um, learning moments that may help them uh, with their own circumstances because it yeah. because of the way the arts are supported uh, we may find ourselves there where we're, we don't have much and mm-hmm. we may feel torn with I have to keep doing this mm-hmm. um, and I don't really understand a way forward and so um, it's to create space for that conversation for people too when when you're there you yeah. know but I, you know, you just don't want people to feel like they, you don't want them to confuse that, um, right? And I, and I think also in a world that is very much a culture rather that's very much about consuming people and products. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're we're in a, I mean, conspicuous consumption mm-hmm. is is could never be a more apt right. descriptor. Um, but when everything is focused on the individual consuming, mm-hmm. any individual that can have any space in their life for making, I think is huge. Right. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. I mean, you throw this around. It, we're not throwing this around, I don't think, in any way when I say this, but like it is actually, if you look at things as they are, put all the cards on the table, like the idea of making within a space like that is completely countercultural. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. Like there is, and it, and and that is, that is regardless I'll say, of I'll say any th- quality or skill as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and I mean, and and quality and skill only up the ante on that. They only mm-hmm. add. They're at, that's an additive phenomenon at that point. And I would say I would I I like the one up, up or it's the it's countercultural. Mm-hmm. And so I'm only going to add a tagline to that yeah, in yeah. total agreement, which is it's countercultural and essential. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so that, that should throw a critique into uh, that which is perceived as normative culture. Mm-hmm. It's countercultural and essential, right? Because because otherwise we're just we're just status quo. Yes. Right? Otherwise we're not actually uh, pushing or moving or urging. Yeah. Um, Exploring, knowing, and enriching all yeah. of it. Which yeah. you know, hey, be countercultural as well with the whole idea of starving artist. Yeah. You know, be like, I can buck that trend. Sure. I don't have to. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, you know, it's hugely important to kind of be in that space as well. Like, cause all this really gets back to the value of the value of making the value of this, the, the intrinsic, the essential value mm-hmm. of, of what we're talking about when we talk about creative communities, when we talk about generativity within the arts, mm-hmm. when we talk about knowing and being known, um, the fact that it is so essential means that we can also start to look at phrases like starving artist as uh, like enemy terminology almost. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so like we it's, can, it's, it attacks in the wrong ways. Yep. We can, we can choose to be formally known, mm-hmm. formally known as starving now known and known for, for being a whole person that's actually, you know, doing okay and yeah. able to persevere through difficulty by having friends and, you know, the whole nine. So, um, I don't know, man. I feel like this might be a good good place to wrap up. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's a good it's a good kind of punch in the face. Should you should be left with probably a lot of very uh, specific uh, thoughts. One yeah, hopefully, way hopefully for you're or against. Yeah, hopefully you're rethink. You know, I mean, hopefully you're rethinking things. And we've been getting good feedback lately, especially. And so we want to continue to encourage that. There's mm-hmm. so a couple of things like we're in a season of fundraising, so we're going to keep bringing it up. Um, we don't do it very often. If you've been listening to us, so so. Um, uh, at some point it's invariable, but you know, like share, subscribe, mm-hmm. check us out on, on all major platforms, uh, write a review. If you if you, you know, mm-hmm. drop us an Apple review. Um, if you're a, a faithful listener at this point, um, you know, because we really appreciate it and it actually helps just truthfully, it helps to get the podcast out to more people. Yeah. And so there is those dastardly algorithms that, uh, <laughs> suppress, <Yes>. uh, <laughs> who actually knows we exist. 
Um, and you know, we'd like to think of these as humble meals that are meant to be shared and passed around. So yes. pass around the podcast and consider we, we've really had a nice surge of patrons. So one, thank you. Yes. And very much two, so. what a exciting time because, um, every, like literally just two minutes ago, we got someone else who signed up. So every time we do, it ups the possibility for us. And as we move into a new podcast recording studio, um, to really honor the generosity of that space. We want to, we want to make the most out of it. We want to be here for the long haul. Yeah. You know, we have books that are coming, like we shared with you in our last episode. And, and so I just want to invite you, cons- uh, let me just say this. Sometimes I think people feel ashamed for just giving a dollar. And here's the thing. The people that give a dollar oftentimes are, I, I'm like, I know who that is. And I know that that's a lot coming from them. Mm-hmm. There's no shame in it. And so if you're like, a dollar a month may not be a lot to you in your own personal life. And therefore you may think that, well, therefore it won't be a lot to us, but actually there's no, there's no shame for giving a dollar. It means a lot. No, not at all. So a dollar a month can do a lot. And if you can get 10 friends to do a dollar a month, that would mean a lot. If you can, if you can partner with us mm-hmm. in bringing more people uh, into a monthly support situation with us by going and checking out our Patreon, a dollar a month, $5 a month, 25. I mean, we have a $250 level for anybody who's, who's been listening, mm-hmm. who feels extra generous or capable. And we, we, we desire, and we actually sincerely need that support, uh, to, uh, kind of grow through this COVID occasion and all the difficulties that come with that. And, and Lord willing come out better on the other side, which is what yeah. I believe is going to happen. But as we have more support, because we've been on a shoestring budget for a decade now, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that hasn't stopped us from producing great things, I think we'll be able to do a lot more. Right. You know, yeah, yeah. so we won't hit you on this very often, um, but we will do a, a like and subscribe and we will, we will uh, encourage you to just consider it. You know, maybe you're just like sitting there going like, I could probably do five bucks a month. Um, you know, it, it, is, it, it, it is incredibly appreciated. I, I, I wish I could, you know, jump through the, the mic and say that or grab, grab, grab hold and give you a hug to tell you it really does matter. Yeah. So thank you. If you're considering it, do it. You won't feel bad about it. We'll have some cool stuff to send you. When you go onto our Patreon, check out our levels. Um, there's some great, great offerings, and I think you'll really enjoy it. And um, you'll be really supporting something that, that, um, that we believe in, that if you've been listening, you believe in. And so, and, and let us know, give us a shout out, write to us, call us. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Let us know. And like we say at the end of every episode, we love y'all. You're a fantastic audience and we will catch you next time. Peace. You've been listening to Shaco Art Speak, a production of Shaco Art Space. We are an independent nonprofit art gallery in Richmond, Virginia. We can be found online at shacoartspace.com and in real life in historic Shaco Bottle.